My wife turned the tables on me when I turned uh, 40, oh, just a few months ago. Um, <laughs> she planned for almost a year to pull off one of those, uh, this is your life kind of uh, surprises. And there were people from all over that traveled to Cary to uh, surprise me, a close friend from Dallas who uh, had actually paid our expenses to leave there after graduate from seminary and come here and start the church. He was there, and a uh, close friend from college days. And um, I, uh, I almost fell over in shock, though, when around the corner uh, was introduced to me, uh, I hadn't seen him in years, a boyhood friend. Um, he was a missionary kid. His dad worked with mine, and we were inseparable growing up until about the seventh or eighth grade, and I couldn't believe it. Here he was, uh, married, and he had his children, and uh, he comes walking up the sidewalk. I could not. We were inseparable. We were into all kinds of mischief. We used to play tag with a BB gun, but that's another story. <laughs> I say that to all you moms if you think Junior's going to survive. <laughs> He probably will become a preacher. Who knows? Be patient with him. My wife uh, enjoys surprises a lot more than I do, but I'll never forget that particular one. I got another surprise recently in the mail, though this was not uh, nearly as fun. At first, it, it took me a while. I just stared at the sheet of paper. It took me a while to figure out why I was being sent pictures of my Ford F-150 pickup truck. They were color pictures until I realized it was a notice of violation from the town of Cary. My, my beloved town, which I've committed my life to, you know, has taken pictures of me going through a, uh, a red light. I had been caught on film. And I, li- listen, I tell my wife this all the time. It's, I do not run red lights. They are yellow. When I get through them, maybe they turn red. But here, here were pictures, three of them. One from a distance of me at, uh, in fact, at this intersection where it clearly showed my truck turning left. I was in the left turn lane. And then another picture that showed the stoplight and my picture now fully engaged in the intersection, and it was clearly red. And then a close-up of my license plate, (laughs) poimenos. It's the Greek word for pastor. You know, when I got that special license plate, my wife said she was glad it was in Greek because of the way I drive. Well, yeah, I didn't think that was funny either, but... uh, the uniqueness of that license plate, poimenos, I mean, it was, it was, there was no denying that was, that was me. Town of Kerry even had a video. You could log on and watch it. It was an open <laughs> and shut case. <laughs> the only positive thing about those pictures is it proved to me that truck looks good. I mean, it looks good. <laughs> And I thank you again for giving me that truck. Although I got to tell you, it was, it was embarrassing to me. And at the bottom of the, the, the note, it, it said to send in my $50 if I wanted to avoid any other further civil action. 
No need to argue. No need to debate. No need to complain. They had me. And I sent in my $50. Unlike a guy, in fact, I, I read this a couple of months ago. It's funny, this one guy thought he'd be a wise guy, and he got one of those notices just like I did. Didn't know what he was talking about until then, but he got one of those notices in the mail with pictures of his car running a red light, and he was told to mail in his $40. So he thought he would respond in kind, and he mailed in a photograph of two $20 bills. A week later, he got another uh, letter from the town with a picture enclosed. This one was a photograph of handcuffs. <laughs> Pretty good. So he mailed in his money. I got to tell you, it was odd. It was really odd seeing these pictures of me going through that intersection with undeniable proof that I had violated uh, the law, and it was embarrassing to see it. It made me think, what if someone was following us around, taking pictures of us throughout the day? What if we were surprised by snapshots that, that were delivered to us in the mail that had been taken throughout the day? Our, our facial expressions close up. Uh, the captions of our words underneath are our actions, all of it recorded in living color. Undeniable, irrefutable proof. That was me. I was doing that. I was saying that. How much of it would bring us embarrassment at the end of the day? How much of it would bring us joy? Would we be surprised by the snapshots of, of loving actions that those photographs would send us, or would they be cataloged images of selfish words and self-centered living. You know, it's, it's as if the Apostle Paul has been roaming through our neighborhood with a divine camera. He's been cataloging, in fact, some, for some time what, what love looks like, and he has delivered to us copies of the pictures. They are undeniable proofs of love in action. Let's look at a couple of snapshots in 1 Corinthians 13. Turn there once more. Now, if you're under the impression that 1 Corinthians 13 is some kind of, some kind of hallmark, a romantic uh, description of what love is, you are in for a surprise. Even though our translation includes adjectives for love, in the Greek language, these are not adjectives. These are all verbs all 15 of them, present tense verbs. Listen, uh, this chapter does not tell us what love is. It tells us what love does. These are pictures of love in action. And agape, as you remember, is not something that you feel. It isn't some inner sensation or emotion that you live for in fact, this kind of true love isn't conveyed by words alone. One author said that agape can be defined only by what it does and what it does not 
do. This is love in living color. It's caught on tape. This will be undeniable evidence of what true love looks like in action. Look at verse 4. Love is patient and love is kind. These are the first of 15 verbs. These are two positive statements followed up with eight negative statements. We'll reserve comment on these eight negative statements for our next session. The first two descriptions are nothing less than two surprising snapshots of of love. Surprising in that they reveal love in places where you would not expect to see them. If you wanted to see love, you would not look where Paul is looking. And we could translate these first two positive verbs this way, and you might write in the margin of your Bible just so you capture the sense of an action verb. Love exercises patience, and love demonstrates kindness. First, love exercises patience. This verb from makrothumeo means long-suffering. In fact, it might be translated that way in some of your translations. The word macro is used in our own English language as a prefix for something that's large or, or broad as opposed to micro, which is used for something small like a microchip. Thumeo, the other half of that word, refers to passion. It's, uh, it's used of something literally bursting into flames. In our modern world, we, we would call this long-fused love. Macrothumeo literally could be defined as taking a long time to burst into flames. <laughs> long-fused patience. This is agape. And by the way, this word chosen by the Spirit of God to describe agape has nothing to do with patience with things. This word is always used in reference to patience with people. I mean, it's one thing to exercise patience over that broken-down lawnmower, right, if you do exercise it, or that computer that, that crashes, or that photocopier that keeps, keeps on jamming, or that, that vending machine. You put your 75 cents in there, and the candy bar slides all the way to the edge, but then it doesn't fall. And you, you, you push on the machine, and you, you hit the glass, and you kick it, and you threaten it, and all sorts of things. It just won't fall. Well, this has to do with exercising patience like that with people, and don't we push and hit and kick and threaten? People that are evidently difficult is what Paul has in mind. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to exercise long-fused patience. These are people you'd like to shake or push or threaten. And at that moment, in the middle of a push, a divine snapshot is taken. Look at the photograph. You're in the middle of that scene. What do the pictures reveal? Our church is blessed with so many teachers. It is an, a particular honor to teach teachers. But you know what it's like to exercise patience with that class, don't you? 
Maybe you'll understand or identify with this incident submitted by John Bukema from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. An elementary teacher was helping one of her kindergarten students get his cowboy boots on (laughs) before leaving for home. He'd asked her for help, and she could see why. Even with her pulling and pushing, the boots just didn't want to fit on all the way. They seemed too small. But she persisted. And by the time she got the second boot on, she'd worked up a sweat. and She almost cried when the little boy said to her, these are the wrong feet. You know how boots can sometimes be hard to tell. She looked closely, and sure enough, they were. She tugged and pulled and finally got the boots off. And she managed to keep her cool as together they worked to get the boots back on the right feet. Finally, just as she was finished, he said, you know, these aren't my boots. She bit her tongue rather than scream. Once again, she struggled to help him pull the ill-fitting boots off his little feet. No sooner had had they gotten the boots off, he said, See, they're my brother's boots, but my mom said I could wear them. (laughs) She didn't know if she'd laugh or cry, but she mustered up what patience she had to, to wrestle the boots back on his feet one more time, and finally she finished. Helping him into his coach, he asked, now where are your mittens? And he said, I stuffed them in the toes of my boots. (laughs) The story says in two years she'll be eligible for parole. (laughs) I don't blame her. Better have a little agape for scenes like that. It's interesting to me that the first snapshot of love. Whether you and I think we've got it or not, he goes right for the, the soft spot, doesn't he? Boy, he touches the nerve immediately. As we're going to talk about and describe love, let me tell you that love is long-fused. This is love acting toward unloving acts. I found it interesting that the Pharisees in the days of Paul held to the theory of recompense or compensation. That is, you return to others what they deliver to you. That's why Jesus Christ's teaching was so radical. It was was no longer an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, which was in fact the basis for justice and remuneration. Now it is self-defacing, self-defrauding, self-emptying love toward Another, how unlike the world who lives by the motto, don't get mad, get even, right? Do unto others before they do unto you. That's the law of the jungle. Jesus Christ said, here's a a new motto, endure suffering without retaliation. Paul writes to the Romans, do not repay evil with evil, Romans 12, 17. Chrysostom, the church leader, said that this word for patience describes a man who has been wronged, who has the power to avenge himself, and who will not do it. Now, the Greeks of Paul's day, as he's writing this text, his audience, this this original audience, this church made up of Corinthian believers would have immediately responded with what their culture had taught them, that that kind of love is a sign of weakness. I mean, if you don't retaliate, if you don't get even, you're weak. 
Sounds like the 21st century now, doesn't it? We know, however, that being long-fused is a sign of supernatural strength. It isn't weakness. In fact, the only way you can demonstrate it is to not even try to drum it up. You can't come up with it on your own. You surrender to the Spirit of God who develops it in your life. It happens to be one of the fruits of the Spirit, for the fruit of the Spirit is this word, patience, true strength. There are less and less photographs around that capture people exercising this attribute aren't there? That's why I find stories like these remarkable. I've been reading a little bit of Abraham Lincoln lately, and I've referenced him a couple of times recently. I came across the bitter resentment shown toward him by Edwin Stanton. He was a political rival at one point in time. Stanton, though, was very, very vitriolic in his language, just hateful, just absolutely hateful. He called Lincoln a clown. He nicknamed Lincoln the original gorilla in the press. He even said on one occasion that one particular explorer was a fool to wander about Africa trying to capture a wild gorilla when he could have found one so easily at Springfield, Illinois, where Lincoln lived. Lincoln said nothing in response. In fact, after Abraham Lincoln became president of the United States, He eventually chose as his secretary of war none other than Edwin Stanton. And his friends asked him, are you mad? And he responded, he's the best man for the job. The years wore on. This one article I read said the night came when the assassin's bullet murdered Lincoln in that theater, and it wasn't long before Edwin Stanton stood in that little home where they'd taken Lincoln, looking down on Lincoln's silent face, and he said through his tears, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. The patience of love had conquered in the end. This is to love those who are the most unlovable, the most needy, the most irritating among you. Paul writes to the Thessalonians using the same word for patience. He says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, that is, those prone to, to worry and discouragement, help the weak, that is a reference to the morally unstable who seem to constantly need encouragement to do the right thing. The kind of people that you say, finally, you know, just, just, just leave me alone. Just go do what you know to do. Paul then closes, though, by adding, after that description, be patient with them all. Same word here. Be long-fused with them. See, anybody can love the, the lovable, right? Anybody can exercise patience with the considerate. Anybody can put up with the neat, the orderly, the strong, the refined, the polite. This is not the patience of agape. This is not the snapshot of love. Anybody can do that. This photograph of this kind of agape catches us when we exercise patience with those who can't seem to get their boots on. 
They need help, and a lot of it. One author said that macrothumeo is having patience to bear with those who resist change, who are weak in their faith, who are quick to complain, forgetful of their responsibilities, emotionally unstable, fearful, or even wayward. Be patient with them all, Paul writes. I researched this word outside of the biblical record and and came across this one use of macrothumeo. It was used for a physician. It was used for the patience of a physician who continued to treat a chronic illness in a patient when there was little hope for a cure. Why treat them? Why go through the sweat of it all? Why bother? Because the physician has attributed to his patient inerrant worth and value. Therefore, he has chosen to serve him even though the outlook is bleak and this person can take nothing from him but his time and his energy. Listen, this is the agape of God. That even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. This is true, genuine, God-like, Christ-imitating, sacrificial, surprising love that is patient toward the irritable, the unexpressive, the disappointing, the unlovely. This is the surprising snapshot of agape. Have you been caught? Have I been caught in a photograph with this kind of love lately? Love expresses patience. Let's move on. Agape does not stop with being patient with the unloving. Paul writes further that this love is also kind. Being kind is the counterpart of being patient. In other words, while patience will put up with anything from anybody, kindness will give away anything to another. It's possible. Think about it. It's possible to be patient without being kind, isn't it? It's interesting that these two words often appear side by side. It's possible to be patient with someone without being kind. I might might put up with you by staying away from you, right? Avoid you in the hallway. Avoid a conflict. But Paul doesn't stop with exercising patience. He has the audacity to tell us that true love demonstrates kindness, and that requires contact. Kindness is more than a a hello across the hallway, and I hope they don't stop me. This word means that we not only take the injury from someone with patience, but we return the injury with kindness. Agape is not for the weak at heart, is it? This is Jesus Christ telling His disciples to love their enemies. He doesn't simply tell them to feel kindly, you know, about them. He says literally, be kind to them. He is the model we follow, for agape is truly the expression of the attributes and character of God. This, this is the kindness of God that leads us to what? Repentance, same word, kindness. 
We're to demonstrate to others what God leads us toward. Peter writes, we have tasted the kindness of the Lord, 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. Same word. We're being called to demonstrate the kindness toward the world that God demonstrated toward us. You remember Paul's injunction to feed your enemy when he's hungry, and if he's thirsty, give him water to drink, and in so doing, you're going to heap coals of fire upon his head. And you say, yeah, I like that part, coals of fire. I can do that. That's love for me. Paul is describing a deed from his culture that we could easily misunderstand. Nobody in Paul's day had matches in the pantry. If you didn't keep your fire going, those coals went cold, you were desperate. It didn't matter if you were away on a trip or you'd gotten ill and doubled over in pain for several days. You were unable to tend the fire and the coals turned to dust. The only thing you could do is go to a neighbor. You'd take along that basin, you'd balance on your head. I've seen them do it in third world countries, balancing supplies on crude basins. Now, you'd go to your neighbor and you'd have your basin and, and, and you'd ask for some coals. Now, if your neighbor gave you, oh, let's just say a, a handful of them, that could be a problem because if you lived at some distance, by the time you got home, those coals would be cold. But if he was kind to you, he would heap coals of fire upon your head. He would load your basin down so that by the time you got home, you had hot coals whereby you could immediately cook and eat or be warm. This is nothing for a friend to do to a friend, right? Or maybe even to do to a stranger, but an enemy. You'd like them to be cold at night and go hungry, and their hunger pains remind them of how they've hurt you. And maybe the cold drive them to you with an apology. I mean, we don't give people like that hot coals. We might throw coals at them or put a hot one down their robe or something, but not load them down. But this is the person Christ is speaking of. If you want to demonstrate the love of God, the agape love of kindness, demonstrate self-sacrifice, self-denial, selfless, supportive love for someone you don't have one kindly feeling toward. Demonstrate kindness to them. Have you ever had a snapshot taken this past week, month, or year? You were in it, demonstrating kindness like that to someone else. This is one of, this is one of the kinds of photographs that continue to surprise the world. World Magazine, which I subscribe to, carried in their spring edition 2006 an article written by an atheist. He was, he was actually disturbed by his atheist friends because they never, they never did anything good for anybody. He didn't quite connect the dots. He, was, he, he had watched the Salvation Army and other faith-based ministries respond with all the hundreds and hundreds of churches to Hurricane Katrina, and he lamented in a newspaper column 
Let me read it for you, and I quote, Notable by their absence were teams helping who'd come from rationalist societies, free thinkers' clubs, and atheist associations, the sort of people who scoff at religion's intellectual absurdity. He said it was the Christian who was the most likely to take the risk and make the sacrifices involved in helping others. Isn't that interesting that he noticed? He went on to say that that other things like drug addiction and AIDS offends Christians, but they are the ones willing to change the fetid bandages and clean them up, bathe them. Now listen to his conclusion. The only possible conclusion I can draw is that Christians have moral imperatives that make them morally superior to atheists like me. And so it should be. It goes all the way back to the early church in the second century. In fact, the pagans were so startled by the kindness of the believer for those they didn't even know that according to Tertullian, they were nicknamed by the changing of one Greek letter from Christiani, which meant follower of Christ, to Christiani, made up of kindness. Can you imagine the church of the 21st century earning the nickname made up of kindness? Put agape to work. Would we surprise anybody by our kindness? There are two demands that these verbs, difficult demands that they make, these verbs of love. First, They demand that we develop this kind of love through a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I mentioned earlier these are the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Yours might say long-suffering goodness. Same words. There they are side by side again. Don't just take it from people. Give back to people. These are the results of surrender to the Spirit of God. So, you don't don't say, I'm going to drum it up. Okay, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to be kind. You know, your kids say, leave me alone, I'm trying to be patient. You know? No. You pursue the Spirit of God and these things seep into our character. Neither patience nor kindness can be developed apart from the Spirit. Secondly, neither patience nor kindness can be demonstrated apart from suffering. These two action verbs invite difficulty. Patience demands what? Irritating people to be exercised. So you ask God for more patience, He sends you somebody really irritating. He answers your prayer. This word relates to being long-fused as it relates to people. Oh, Stephen, you want to be patient? Here you go. Exhibit A. And there's the picture. He may send you suffering, which allows you to act in kindness because kindness demands unloving conditions to be practiced. Patience demands irritating people to be exercised. Kindness demands unloving conditions to be practiced. You don't practice these in private. You've got to go public with these, and not just any kind of public. 
Linsky, a Greek scholar, wrote, these two actions are not revealed in surroundings of friendship and affection where each individual embraces and kisses the other. These are actions in a bad and self-centered world. Maybe that's why these photographs are so rare, so hard to find. I read several years ago about a group of people who demonstrated kindness in a very rare way, and even the world took note. I assume and imagine Christians were among them, but I wasn't told. But it was a surprising photograph to me. In 1975, a child by the name of Raymond Dunn was born in New York State. The Associated Press reported that at his birth, a skull fracture and oxygen deprivation caused severe retardation. As Raymond grew, the family discovered further impairments. His twisted body suffered up to 20 seizures per day. He was found to be blind, mute, and virtually immobile. He had severe allergies that limited him to only one food found after numerous attempts to find something he could easily digest. It was a meat-based formula by Gerber Foods. But in 1985, Gerber stopped making the formula that Raymond thrived on. Carol Dunn, his mother, scoured the countryside purchased case after case of it, accumulating all she could. But by 1990, her supply was running out. In desperation, she appealed to Gerber for help. Would they help her and her son? The employees of the company were given the news. This article read, they not only listened, but they responded. In an unprecedented action, Volunteers donated hundreds of hours to bring out old equipment, set up a production line, obtain special approval from the USDA, and produce a formula all for one boy. In January of 1995, Raymond Dunn, Jr., known as the Gerber Boy, passed away. This article ended by saying that during his brief lifetime, he had called forth a surprising thing called kindness. What a surprising picture. What a rare photograph. Can we as people of God be any less than this? Would the world be surprised by the appearances of love in our lives? Paul says, let me show you a more excellent way to live. Let me show you a way to live by agape, okay? Let's hear it. Be patient with the irritating. Be kind to the unloving. Paul, can you give me anything different than that? No, you know what he's giving? He isn't giving the Corinthians or the North Carolinians a different way to feel. He's giving us a different way to live. And it is radically different. So, with the outset of these two, first two verbs, surrender to the Spirit and invite suffering so that we can demonstrate to our watching world who, by the way, has their cameras ready. You know that, don't you? They're ready. They're loaded with film. They're snapping away. 
Oh, that they may take pictures of the patience of agape and the kindness of agape, which become amazing, irrefutable, undeniable, uncontestable proofs, evidences of this God-like, Christ-honoring, genuine, true love. May it be, Father, in our own lives as we seek to demonstrate that which would reveal undeniably the proof that we belong to someone different. We follow, we march to the, truly to the beat of a different drum. No wonder you said that agape would be the thing that would distinguish us in the world. We've just started. But already we know that we must throw ourselves upon the grace of our God, thanking you for kindness toward us. And we must throw ourselves upon the strength of you, our Lord, as we rely upon you and pursue you and love you and seek to walk with you, that you would allow us to demonstrate just a sliver of this attribute. This week, help us to have numerous pictures taken of us acting, exercising, patience, demonstrating kindness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.